Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. This um, live stream is going to really be about the landscape of voiceover and, in a sense, how you need to determine which way you should be heading and then once you've determined that, how you should prepare for yourself to find some traction. And, of course, with anything in the arts, traction is the hardest thing to get. In order to get it in the first place, you need to know what you're doing. And so this is going to be a bit about the landscape and how you can possibly find out how to find out whether you know what you're doing. And the next two webinars are going to be both technique uh, webinars, one on the commercial world of voiceover and the other one on the non-commercial world of voiceover, which is all the kind of internet stuff, okay? And in those ones, I'm going to be providing you with scripts that I will talk to you about different approaches and how to mark them up and how to think about the language in a different sense. Because voiceover, firstly, is not about you. And it's not even really about your voice. So it's so different from other ways that we have of accessing our skills as performers because you don't go away and learn your work and deep dive character and understand where you're coming from. You go to a script, to, to a studio, you get a script that you've never seen unless it's something for the biology department of Melbourne Uni and you need to look up a whole lot of words. You won't have seen it before because it's a very spontaneous creative experience. And to go into voiceover, you need to trust that that experience as, as in a little time, think of voiceover as tiny window world. You know, when we're on the stage, it's a big, expansive world. When we're on screen or on a set, it's contained, but it's still broad. When you're in a voiceover studio, it is just you, the script and the microphone, and then a whole lot of considerations that are to do with who you're talking to and what message you're going to be sending to them. So, you know, there's, there's, I, I want to do the two technique courses following this because Hopefully this one will give people some uh, some ways to start thinking about really the, the genuine way that they will fit into voiceover. Because I often find with people who come to me and say, I just, you know, people often say I've got a great voice and so I should do voiceover. And that's all fantastic. And that may mean that they, they fit a certain, you know, kind of voiceover style. But often people will come to me and say, oh, I just love doing character voices and I want to do character voices. But if you listen to mainstream television and radio, or you listen to a lot of sort of things on websites, mostly what you're listening to or watching with a voiceover on it is actually pretty straight stuff. It is the person using their voice skills not being themselves, then understanding how they need to approach that script in order to make it make sense for the advertiser or the client as, as far as the story of the script is concerned. And mostly across the whole landscape of voiceover, mostly you're dealing with scripts that are um, not naturalistically written. In advertising, in the commercial world, you will get a script that's called conversational style, but you're not usually, unless it's a two-hander where you're doing duologue, which is definitely a, like a little play and it is conversational, you'll get a script that they want conversational style, but you're not actually having a conversation with anybody. But that's one of the things that I'll talk to you about next week. Um, you, then, then you'll get announcer style, which is actually... You know, announcer style was the very first style of voiceover. And it was always, um, so it came out of America and, and the UK when uh, programs were sponsored by Velvet Soap or something, you know. This program brought to you by Velvet Soap. Get some on your body today. And they were always written in those ways. They were very, mostly always done by very... Um, kind of overproduced male voices. There was very few females in it in those days. But that announcer style of I'm just sending you a message on behalf of the, the client um, is still very common. And usually you can identify them by um, the first line in the script will we'll, um, determine who you're talking from 
and that you are talking on behalf of them. Like um, at Kmart, we understand how expensive it is to close your kids. You know, Kmart, that's who you're speaking on behalf of. And we says that you are the mouthpiece of the company. So that announcer style is still around and it's very different in its approach because, you know, you will get very stylized language in that script. So announcer style is, is written in, oh yeah, and of course the language is shrunk right? Because it has to fit. That was what I was on about. It has to fit to a time. So, you know, a 15 second television ad, 14 seconds of dialogue only, because they need that last second for vision switching. Radio, it's the full 15 seconds. Same with a 30 second. It's 29 for television. It's 30. So you are constrained always by time. Copywriters understand this, and there are kind of loose word counts that you can have for scripts. It's like, let's keep it to around this word count, and it won't be too fast. Uh, in different kinds of, um, of, of, of script styles, like retail, for instance, that is price and product retail, you will have noticed that it's incredibly fast. It's, it's absolutely wall to wall. Um, and then the styles sort of diff they they differ. So there are lots of things that you have to consider as a performer that you don't necessarily have to consider in your other world as a performer, where you have the stage. The other thing is that voiceover, especially in the commercial world, and I'll get to the non-commercial world in a sec. The commercial world is actually talking to a half listening audience right? Nobody wants to hear the commercials, whether it's on the radio or the television or online. And if you're the kind of person who skips after the three seconds when you're browsing and they say skip in three seconds, don't skip. Watch the commercial. Look away. When, once you've, you've seen it, you, you can kind of look away and then listen to what the voiceover artist is doing. This is kind of part of your research because you know, radio, it's just you and it's wall-to-wall -wall words, but television, you have the other two elements to help you, of the, the sound bed and the visual. So you don't have to work as hard in television commercials. Um, so so watching those, those kinds of things is really valuable. In fact, all of your research needs to be about listening to things. That's a good way. It's kind of a bit of a litmus test about where you would fit Knowing your own voice and your own voice style is really important. Knowing what it is about your voice and your personality that somebody out there who might want to cast it is looking for is really hard. You know, you have to find a way to create voice demos, and that's something we'll talk about later, that actually uh, provide you reading samples of scripts that you would be cast for so that you are helping the person who is casting or looking for the voice make a decision what the difficulty people get into and and this was a question that somebody asked about you know what you you put on demos and, and you don't like I said before most of the work out there is not character work so the last thing you want to do is load your voiceover demo with you doing fabulous characters unless you want to work in animation and you really do have a solid bank of voices that you can go to really easily that by the way need to sound completely different from each other as in can't believe that that's the same person that's the way it has to be um, demos can be very uh, tricky to get right and so knowing what it is somebody's going to buy about your voice is really key and i think one of the best ways of doing this is to listen go looking for your voice so go on to the voiceover agent websites and go trawling around they all have a kind of like a search engine thing that you can put yourself your age group in um, type and go looking and listening to what people are doing with their demos. And you, you should be able to hear first up, oh, gee, this person's really good. Second up, oh, that's really good again, but it's so different. Third up, hmm, that's a good style too. So the first three tracks, and you may not have even got to 35 seconds of, of demo listening, because really once, you, once you've gone 15 seconds, and for some 
people that's too long. I would say between 10 and 15 seconds is a good measure of whether you can cope with that voice, especially in the commercial world. When it gets to the non-commercial world, where often the scripts are, are a little bit longer and people want to hear whether you can roll out information that plays back into each other and how do you deal with repetition. So um, it's, a, it's a very tricky thing to, to get the measure of a voiceover demo right. Anyway, we're going to talk about that later. So, but I'm also kind of covering off what are the different kinds of work. So the different kinds of work that we are doing out there in voiceover land is the commercial, commercial work is still where the biggest amount of work is and the biggest amount of money. Then, um, and you get that work either through radio stations, although I haven't worked at a radio station for quite some time. We'll talk about how COVID's changed everything soon. Um, or sound recording studios. That's where most of that big money work comes from. Then you, you go down to, um, to the, well, it's a really burgeoning area, the, the area of non-commercial. We used to call it corporate or non-broadcast or whatever, but it is sometimes broadcast, but it is non-commercial. That is, it is for a captive audience, usually. See, different from, nobody wants to listen to the commercials. When, when you've got that, that sort of non-captive audience, you do have to work a little harder, but that's what I'll be dealing with next week in the webinar, how you work harder to capture attention. So in the non-broadcast world, it is the captive audience. So somebody has Googled for some information and they see a video and it's going to give them the information they want. So they're there looking at it. So even as a voiceover artist, you don't have to work too hard. You don't have to sell, sell, sell. You don't have to manipulate or seduce like you do in advertising because that's what's required. You're just giving the information. And a lot of times it is information, how to, or information. So it's, it's e-learning is, is kind of in, a, in that area. Um, then we have video producers, I think uh, is, a, is a sort of an, an untapped place for voiceover artists who have really good skills in, in sight reading and really good skills with language. People don't do enough work in voiceover on their own behalf. There's a couple of questions about agents and, um, you know, how can I get more work through my, my acting agent um, in voiceover? Well, you're not going to because there's nobody, clients, advertising agencies or producers don't often go to um, an acting agent with a brief of, of a, a script they want to cast you they go to the studio that they're going to record the job at and they say who would you suggest for this or they go to the premium voiceover artist agents and say the same thing who would you suggest for this? who should i listen to for this i'm looking for an ai voice i'm looking for a you know a kind of a, a an over 80s really crusty guy so so those kind of things happen but if you and and the other question was do i need an agent to be a voiceover artist you don't you just need to be able to concoct a really good demo that is a great reflection of what you're good at and make sure that all of the studios and the radio stations that are relevant like if you are in your 80s probably don't send it to, you know, ARN. Think about where you're sending it. But possibly, um, you know, there's video. You can Google video production in whichever um, part of the world you're in, if you're in Auckland or Perth or Brisbane or Adelaide. There will be producers locally. The other thing that's kind of forgotten about is, you know, actually cold calling, but it's not scary like horrible old marketing days when you had to really cold call for a job. Um, if you're cold calling the NAB who has their own in-house production area and they do a lot of their own internal stuff, they just it's, it's not worthwhile spending a whole lot of money doing it through the big agency who does all of their massively big money stuff. But just for smaller things, they would be very interested to have a bank of voices that they can call upon. And the rates will still be the same, especially with a big company. Then you have to be careful with rates is a really important thing to consider. I mean, the union has done an amazing job over the years, really since the 80s, of chasing advertising rates and getting our commercial rates up and up and up. Every couple of years we used to negotiate. Unfortunately, there just has not been 
much of an appetite for the past five years within the, the Communications Council to increase rates. Agents said they didn't want to increase rates. They don't want, they want to rock any boats, you know. And, of course, that is the only area that is... Um, that we have union rates because we have a body to negotiate with. You know, we have the Communications Council, used to be called the Advertising Federation. They didn't, um, not every ad agency were their members, but whatever it is we decided or negotiated with that body was accepted across the board and, and nationally. So we have a really, look, it's the rate structure we have. It can be a little faulty in places, but that's because the voiceover industry is so anomalous. I mean, yeah, it's only on for a minute, so it couldn't be worth something that's on for six months. It's, it's this, it's that. It's, it, it's a complex thing to negotiate. But agents do quite a good job of that. If you actually are lucky enough to have a, an acting agent who has a voiceover area, then um, hopefully they do marketing on your behalf. If you make a new demo, they should know to send it out to voice agents. Um, I think really in covid the thing that has um, the most work has been in voiceover. But I will tell you that uh, my agent, who's EM Voices, reports that there's a 60% drop-off in work coming into the agency. My other side analysis says that there is a 40% decrease in media buying, which means that, or this is the way I think that, that those figures convert, that um, advertisers are still buying media, that is buying a spot to have their uh, commercial heard or seen on television or online. They're still doing that, but often what they're doing is running old material. So they don't have to go and spend the money on new production, especially television production, which is incredibly expensive. They may write a new radio campaign script. But a lot of the work that has been done, the people who have managed to survive and get more work, has often been COVID-related. It's about new safety procedures. It's about, in the, in the corporate area, it's about um, anybody who has a, uh, a job doing IVRs, which is the interactive voice response thing, like, thanks for calling the National. If you'd like information on your blah account, press one. That's that, those those IVR systems that go in and in and in, you know, all the utilities have them and, um, you know, big banks and insurance companies and, and of course, lots of small to mediums have them in a very, very small way. So all of those things were, everybody needed to change their messaging to COVID. So there is work out there because, because we're at a time when people need to get messages and voiceover delivers messages. We deliver messages, that's what we do. So um, video producers direct, don't, don't sort of, don't not think that you can't ring up a company like MLC and say, do you have a video production department? They may say, yes, or they may say, yes, I'm putting you through. They may say, yes, who's calling? You say, well, I'm a voiceover artist and I would like to send a demo. Oh, sure, because these, these are things that are wanted. So you're not being a nuisance. Same with them. It's not a good time now to send a demo to a studio because really studios are either being operated by one person or, you know, if they have, have two studios, there are two engineers there. They're doing all of their work, just about. I've done two jobs at a studio in the last two months. One was right at the end of um, February, last day of February. Then, what was it, March? Oh, time's weird, isn't it? Um, then I did one recently where they want, they said it will just be um, you, the engineer, and the client. And, of course, I get there and the client says, oh, I'm so, I was so glad to be able to get out of the house. I mean, I wasn't. I had to drive. Oh, I got Source Connect. I could have done it from home. But she wanted to get out of the house. I understand that. I do. I do understand it. <laughs> However, they're not being peopled by people who are listening to demos and welcoming clients, everybody's just trying to manage. So what this is a really good time for is to do your research and work out who you are as a voiceover artist and really start to listen to what is out there and see yourself there or hear yourself there. Um, so I'll talk about, because people wanted to talk about this, 
the other opportunities there are in the in the world of voiceover that are outside the ones that come in the mainstream like the p2p websites pay to play i would say it's a bad thing to do pay to play because i actually believe that that is a good way to throw money and no, nothing is going to come of anything very much there may be some people who've had some success i don't know i, I just i think the p2p pay to play is a basically american based they're a bit shonky nobody in america likes them the american kind of voiceover elite they have done exactly what they worried about and they have wound down rates. So it's America is a very difficult landscape to, to stay premium in, whereas we're still able to hold that ground a little bit. Not that, you know, people will still come and want a discount and, you know, in the, in the non broad, in the non commercial side where we don't have union negotiated rates because well, it's business. There's no, how do you, negotiate rates with the whole business industry. So what we've done over the years is actually kind of add to a rate structure that we created way back in the 80s, which is just, well, what do, you, what do we think is fair for a, for a, you know, a voiceover for a, an audio visual, for a video, for a training film, for a how-to? So we, we kind of created things like that, which have, have kind of grown alongside voiceover rates. But then there's a whole lot of other work out there, which I call the, it's lowbrow work. That is, it's work for startups or it's work for small to medium companies who want to explain a video for their website. Um, they, they don't want to run, they can't go to a video producer, they don't have a budget, you know. They can't go to a studio, they don't have a budget. But they've gone to one of those little places that makes, they're called animations, but what they are is they're like little stick figures and little bubbles with ideas and thought and things like that. And they're very, they're, or, or, or graphics, you know, word graphics. So they take the actual, the key words of whatever the, the message is and they deliver it in that way. And... Um, Often these people, uh, they don't have a big budget, but they may have between $300 and $500 for the voiceover, depending on where it goes. And this is something that you need to understand a little better. You can go to any of the voiceover agents' websites, and I know mine has a rate sheet that you can look at, and that will give you a good idea. So it's EM Voices. I'm sure RMK has one as well. I'm sure um, Sophie German has one. You'll get the, the rates between those agents are the same for um, the commercial world because they are equity rates and they honour that. Um, for the other, uh, the non-commercial world, they are slightly different. Even how they term what the work is is slightly different because it's a bit of a moving feast out there in, you know, internet land because we're doing so much different work. And what you call it is very different. I mean, work for installations for a tourist um, destination, you know, um, versus work for um, an explainer video or uh, a, a website navigation for a new accounting system that all the staff has to get across. There's a lot of things, you know, there's a top and tail for podcasts. There's a, there's events um, ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats for this evening's presentation of, you know, it's that kind of thing. So they will always, they will always be required in, in our world. So people looking for them need to find, need to find you. That can be hard. So if you have traction with a company who does a seminar or a conference every year, then that's, that's a way in. Um, I think uh, somebody asked about real estate videos, has been doing real estate videos. That is one of the kind of the lower um, paying areas. But if you, once again, if you have a good sort of storytelling type voice and you, you can imagine yourself talking somebody around this house or that house, contact real estate agents and say, I'm a voiceover artist and I'm interested in doing this kind of work. You would have to negotiate a rate. You know, it's not, it's not something we necessarily have a rate for. But there is actually a website in the States called, um, it's called Global Voice Acting Academy, GVAA, that they are kosher, these people. Anybody I mention is um, kind of, is very top of the line, no shysters, no rip-off. 
Um, they have a really interesting and broad rate sheet that really deep dives all of these areas that are slightly complex. And you just kind of convert their rate to you. But you look at how they, they kind of differentiate between, you know, all of our rates are based on really two things mostly, reach and duration. Where's it going or who's it going to, how many, and for how long? You know, and so something that's just going to be played for one night at a seminar is surely not as valuable as something that is going to be going onto their website forever and ever and ever. You have to kind of weigh those things up. Um, so there's another American organisation that I really like, which is World WOVO, call it World Voices organization and it is a, it's a it's a global professional association for voiceover artists i mean they are just one to to look at and just sort of see what they do and if you can find as many you can see a lot on youtube you can see you know just put into google or to youtube voiceover artists working um there are lots of people especially americans out there who do sort of free coaching, you'll get lots of videos and things like that. And lots of people who just want to, you know, they chuck a bit of bait on it and really win and get some money from you. But if you can look at their free things, sometimes they have really great pieces of information. Um, so the other thing about the landscape of voiceover, so I've kind of done that corporate area, is animation. Lots of people would love to do animation. Hell, I'd love to do more animation. But it's always there's not an enormous amount of animation made in Australia considering the amount of fabulous voice actors who would love to and could do this work. You know, whenever there's um, a brief for a, an animation series, we all want a gig in it. You know, you all trot out your voices and all that sort of thing, but it's hard to get a gig in animation. Um, however, if you're good, if you are really good at storytelling see the thing about animation which is really different from voiceover in the ways that i've been talking the commercial world and the non-broadcast world is that that is an acting job but in order to to pull this off you have to create a voice for a character you have to create a voice that makes it look like it's coming out of that character's mouth a good way to practice this if you're um not too sure about how to do that is to just you know, just Google um, cartoon images. You'll get swathes and swathes of them and just steal something. It'll have a watermark on it, but who cares? You just want to do the voice of that character. And I would say go to children's books is a good place to go because you will often get in short form very different characters responding in different ways. Oh, I hate you. I never want to see you again. Oh, I'd love some more cake. You know what I mean? And the differences are that extreme. So your, your, your personality is changing and you're exhibiting that you can actually jump into a different visual with whatever you're saying. So, you know, they're the kind of skills that you need. Can I create the right visual with what I'm saying? So it has to be about you looking at the character, looking at the script, almost becoming puppeteer with your hand up the back of that character voicing it you know you're voicing it so you have to make it yours it has to be yours so that is more a performance thing because you are jumping into a character and of course you're not selling anything you're storytelling so it's you know very interesting but when we do the animation one in a, in a couple of weeks where i'll have a little panel um they will talk about the process and we will talk about the process because you don't always work um as an ensemble in animation, you often work separate from each other, just taking direction from the director and hope he's got it right. But that's okay. How are we doing for time? Oh, that's good. Um, so now I'm going to talk about, I've sort, I have talked a little bit about voice demos, but I'm gonna go back to that and just clarify it a bit more. So do listen to the voiceover um agent websites with, with all the voiceover demos voiceover demos is something you should really never attempt on your own <laughs> if you 
make a voiceover demo from your home studio, you would want to make sure your home studio was absolutely brilliant broadcast quality, that you already knew who you were as a voiceover artist, that you had managed to source, which is from whichever way, uh, really, really great scripts that suit your particular style, and you've put it together in a professional way. It's hard to do. It's a hard thing to do to put that together, to make it sound like, because what you want to do with a voiceover demo is make it sound like you already are a voiceover artist, that this is a real job that you did that really went to air or really went online or whatever. And that's, that's the trick. It's got to be like a, a facsimile of a, of a professional voiceover artist demo. So before you do that, you have to be able to confidently replicate anything that you do on that demo in a studio in front of a client. And when I do the next two weeks, I'll be talk, talking more about sort of demythologizing the studio experience because understanding what's expected in the studio is really important. And a lot of people worry about that because they've never had the experience before. And it's very easy to get intimidated if you don't spend a lot of time in the studio with the headphones on and the microphone in front of you and somebody out there behind glass who all of a sudden you can't hear. And, you know, often people will instantly go to, oh, no, oh, they're saying I'm crapped on... I know I haven't been able to get through the script without falling over a word or a line. <gasps> I'm done for. But really, they're probably just talking about the sound effect and the end of line four. You know, it's, if that ever happens to you and you're in the studio, just stay with the world of the words because that's where you belong. Working out the script, working out the script, reading it more, reading it more. Because the thing about scripts, and they're all so different and you won't have seen it before, is the understanding of how to work through the language and sort out what is where is the value as far as far as the client to the audience is concerned where are the little bits of the script that are really important i actually call this finding the story thread and we'll go through that next time when i do the commercial stuff because finding the story thread of the script is finding out what it's about what it's about, what it's about, what it's about. There'll be a whole lot of other words in there that have to be there, otherwise the whole thing will fall down. But they're just supporting what's it, what it's about. So the technique for doing that is really what's going to take you to, oh, this is a voiceover artist who understands the script. So it's really about understanding how to look for the words and how to find the words that are the magic words. Uh, the voiceover demos. So really, if you listen to voiceover demos out there, you will hear that they're not very long, like a two-minute between 90 seconds and two minutes, it's actually quite a good length for a demo. You don't want to go any longer than two minutes. If you're amazing and you have a lot of great stuff on there, yeah. But, you know, samples, no, really. If you, if, if you have something that's incredible, a great script, and you're doing a really cracking job of it, yeah, go to 25 seconds if it's a 30. But you, and you don't have to have the whole job on it. You can just come in at an interesting place, fade out, just get on with the next one. You know, and it works if you have music or production because that's what makes it sound real. It makes it sound like this was done properly. And that is hard to do on your own. There are studios, there will be studios in every town that you're in and just call um, sound recording studios and ask them if they do commercial stuff and ask if they have a demo making service or they have somebody there who could assist you to make a demo. And often it's not incredibly expensive. Um, I am, but you know, you get a good job, <laughs> you get a good job. Um, a lot of studios will actually audition you. They will be looking for people, they will get you to come down and they'll throw a handful of scripts at you to see how well you work just cold, just off the page. One little tip, I've got to tell this to actors all the time because you've really got to remember this. Reading a voiceover script is not like a cold reading on the stage where you read your little bit that you have to say and then you look at the next person while they say their lines and then you go back to yours because it, as soon as you lift your eyes off the page in a studio, you, your focus is completely gone. So you have to stay totally focused on the world of the words at all time. That's where your brain is at, only with those words. As soon as you lift your eyes off the page and you're in the room, you've lost your focus and you've lost your place on the script. And if you consider that it's, you know, usually you have to um, think about the next thing you're saying, the best way to think about the next thing you're saying is to read the next thing you're saying before you say it. 
you know. And the other thing about scripts is that it may be a 30-second script. That doesn't mean that it takes you 30 seconds to get a good job of it. You can actually read the first line and then because the second line is so different, you can pause, think about that second line, then go for it because the engineer can just shrink those little gaps so they all run together. And, I mean, that's what we do in, in retail work. We have to take really, really big breaths to get us through the work. <laughs> Huge breaths. I mean, you know, ridiculous breaths. But they're all taken out so they can be ugly like that one was. <gasps> they can be really hideous because they're going. The only time you leave breaths in voiceover scripts is when you're doing character stuff. Um, well, I was just standing here and... Uh, well, my boyfriend was next to me and then I looked and he'd gone. So there's a, there's a script in there and what I did all around it was create, um, that's character reading, where you create, uh, you're creating visuals. Somebody actually asked me about how do you create visuals in voiceover. Often it's, it's really only, well, masterfully it's with character scripts or character-driven scripts. But that's when you're allowed to embellish the script with things like intake of air, size, <clears throat> things like that. You know, you can do that sort of thing if it's relevant. It can either be left in or taken out. If it works, it doesn't work. But I think don't worry about it. Sort of just go with it for that. If you listen to things that are more conversational or announcer style or certainly retail, you won't hear any breaths. That's not to say that you won't have to kind of make make meaning or character meaning you know often in the commercial world that that meaning can happen on one word you know um it's like yeah often the emotional word in the in the line whatever that may be we're going to deal with that next time let's get to um well character voices is a really interesting thing and i mean i've just kind of been talking about that because character voices will come into every different level of everything not just animation character voices exist in the commercial world where often you have to jump into a character's shoes which is what i just did with the boy di disappearing you jump into somebody else's shoes and you you do whatever voice is required for that particular character she's a 30 year old woman or something but, but character voices are also used in the, the non-broadcast world because you often find yourself doing a whole lot of e-learning stuff. So animation, um, advertising, and oh, yeah, so the e-learning the e where you are required, you're doing something about, uh, you know, a wetlands and there's the swamp and there's all of the, there's the frog and the tadpole and the, the ranger and the narrator and, and often that's a world where you can use a lot of character voices or a lot of different voices. You'd be the narrator voice. You'll be the mum with the, with the two kids. You'll be the lady at the tuck shop. You know, it's all that kind of stuff. Um, so character voices is always a really interesting part, but I deal with, with that over the next two weeks as well. Um, audiobook, somebody did mention it. We did, um, we've done a, a home studio session, and I'm going to talk a bit about home studios in a minute. We did a home studio session and we did a... Um, an audiobook narration session. Both of those sessions will be up on the Equity Foundation website as podcasts really soon, I hope. Do we know how long, Alex? We don't know really, do we? But very soon. So just keep a look out. The Equity Foundation, you go to Equity Foundation and you go to Menu and down uh, right-hand side, bottom thing under Other Resources, Podcast is... Um, the one that you need to click on to find all of the amazing podcasts that have been produced through the union by people um, offering their lovely services to us for your mutual benefit, for our mutual benefit. So audiobooks, um, there was a question on audiobooks. I can't remember what, I can't remember what it was. Sorry about that, that person. Um, the home studio thing is home studios has become the thing that we now do, right? We, we work from home. And like I said, I've only been in twice, but I've, I have worked from home just about every single day because I've had clients that wanted me. I had to go home very early on. It was the word from my agent was you've got to get 
your home studio up to speed and you've got to get Source Connect. And it was like, oh, shit, because I had a very, very improvised home studio, which I only used for coaching. I would have people here and it would be me coaching them. I'd record them and play it back. It was never going to be broadcast. So I didn't need to do what I've done over there. There's my cubby in the corner. See the green, that green rug looking thing? That's a knee rug. And that's just part of the baffling. So basically, if there's a petition at the back, I've got a um, seven foot high to basically what that is, is a pine frame seven foot high in the corner. So there's two seven foot high pine frames and then a, a little roof that just pokes out the front. Um, pine frame with black fabric stapled to it and at the back it just has that cheap insulation right now what that's done and I and I got a kind of a screen um, same thing the pine line with the with the black fabric stapled and the insulation that really just baffles so it's the room is not soundproof see it's actually quite a live room with a, with a window and all that sort of stuff it's not soundproof it's it's well baffled which means the sound is just deadened because you want to be careful that it's not too dead it needs to have a bit of life in it but the most important thing um rather than a soundproof room and people were asking about that you don't need a soundproof room you need an amazing microphone now somebody else was saying you know what about a home studio so it doesn't break the bank well the good news is it's actually not that expensive to set up a home studio um, Rode, spelled R-O-D-E, has a, has a kit, and we talked about this in the home studios. They have a $350 kit, and in it you will get a spectacular Australian-built Rode microphone, an NT1A or two, I'm not sure, but whatever. It's a cracking microphone. You get the little cage that houses the microphone, and you get the pop shield, and you get an interface. The interface is the thing that connects your microphone to your computer. The interface is, is just it's like a little tiny square box. Um, through then, if you so that is going to cost you three hundred and fifty dollars for that kit with the interface. Then you need to buy a microphone stand. Now you don't need an expensive microphone stand. You just need a microphone stand, and you don't need an expensive music stand. You just need one to put your script on. You can improvise. You don't even have to have. A setup like like my setup really would have just cost oh, I don't know I don't know a couple hundred dollars not much not much at all um, I, I'm just talking about my booth setup not my my technical setup my technical setup was much more expensive because I bought um, a Pro Tools program so Pro Tools was the one that I was used to working with at the studio when I made demos with people, that's what I used to edit. That's what I used to record and edit um, at a studio. I never did that at home. Um, so basically, uh, the mic stand, the music stand, the head headphones, you know, might cost you a couple hundred dollars for headphones. Um, but maybe not, you, you know, you can get different things these days. Ones that are like little things that go in your ear that the singers use. It was Andrew Peters, who was on our home studio um, um, webinar, was talking about that. So it's already, it's not that expensive. Now, if you do Source Connect, it's because you are already working with people who have Source Connect, like studios and ad agencies who really need people. It is an American um, thing. It had, it's been around for quite some time, over 10 years, I think. It started off as a bit, yeah, it wasn't that great. It's really come into its own and it, it is now the, it is the ultimate. And the thing about it is that you need to be Source Connect to Source Connect. I think there is some, ISDN is still around, but I think Source Connect has superseded it. Now, it's $35 US for a subscription to Source Connect standard which is what you need. You don't need pro. They do have a 15 day trial, um, which goes pretty quickly. So you want to um, make sure you have a place to practice with, you know, somebody else who has Source Connect already. Um, 
but that's a that's a good way to go. And I I have a Pro Tools system which cost me about six hundred dollars a year, and then or six hundred dollars to set up, and then a hundred dollar a year upgrade thing. You can get free things. I mean, Audacity I believe is still free. Twisted Wave has a free version, and then you have a another version for one hundred and fifty five. But you can play with GarageBand. You can do anything you want. The important thing is that you that is that that you learn how to capture your voice in the optimal way, and that is really about having a microphone and understanding how to manage it. So you need to be listening for plosives, these p's, those nasty little things, and just work out where do you need to be in the mic to the microphone. Should you be a little side onto it? You don't want to be right into it. That can be really. So it's it's really this is the area you need to play in because the future is. Uh, home recording studios. I mean, in the States, they've been doing it for quite some time at a really high percentage of, of their work from home studios. And we sort of went, oh, no, we'd rather go to the, to the studio studio. And yeah, I love to go to the studio and work collaboratively with people. It is amazing. But in times like these, and we don't know how long this is going to be um, like this, there are a lot of things that will not change back too quickly. That will probably be one of them. And anyway, like I said before, there is a lot of work out there that is requiring somebody just to voice something. So you need to become a little more techie than you have been. And it's not that hard. I mean, I learned it. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of self-taught. I probably do things along the long way. But I taught myself how to use Pro Tools, how to record it. I send files through a file sharing service called Hightail. But you can use you send it. You can use Dropbox. You, there's lots of things you can use to send Send your files and once you get a little set up like what I've got you get used to it and I must say the first couple of weeks of setting it up and working from here it was incredibly I was very anxious I just didn't think I was going to be able to pull it off I really worried about being able to one thing I worried about was being able to replicate um, all those personas I created for regular voiceover clients at home in my office where I sit and write and I do blogs and, you know, I, and that took some time. I had to really work that out because voiceover is about collecting a whole pile of personas that you inhabit to do certain kinds of scripts. And the more you do, the better you get at it and the better you understand your, you know, your ability to do that. Um, now I'm going to go to the home studios. Just as voiceover, so Source Connect it works out to about fifty three dollars a month on on today's um, uh, you know currency rate between American Studio. You've got to pay. There's a hundred dollar setup fee for Source Connect. I think it was a hundred. Yeah. Okay. So it's a one off setup fee of seventy five dollars, which works out to about one hundred and twenty dollars AUD. Um, so I think that's probably all we need to talk about with home studios, voice demos, we've got it, marketing. So now the whole question about how you get work as a voiceover artist, I think I touched on briefly, your agent is not necessarily going to be doing, even if you have a voiceover agent, not necessarily going to be doing a whole lot of marketing on your behalf. If you're, you know, an EM voices, you're sharing the landscape with an awful lot of other people. So you would want to bet that you're doing your own marketing really well. And that can be about how you conduct yourself in the studio, how you build relationships with people. Um, where, what kind of profile do you have? You know, I mean, studios love working with people who are working and who have the right kind of energy. So it's finding a reason to send something to a studio is always really good. You have to send your own demo, but make sure it's a professionally recorded demo. And if you're not sure, um, call the, the studios in the landscape, uh, in, in your landscape, find out who's doing what and uh, see if they can assist you or you can go down there and do a, like a little audition and they can give you some guidance about what you're good at or where you would maybe fit. Um, but the kind of marketing that you can do once you have gotten out there and made a demo, had a demo professionally made or made a professional demo or have lucked out and done a couple of jobs and you put a couple of real jobs on a demo and you had a couple of other things is that you can 
send you send that demo out you ask them for feedback you say that you would love to meet them um, and you will you often get a response sometimes you won't get a response which is doesn't necessarily mean they listened to it and thought you were crap maybe they it just came through on a busy day so really think about what day you would send a demo would you send it on a Saturday afternoon and then when they open up their emails on Monday morning, they've got all this shit to wade through that came through in the web. I can't be bothered, can't be bothered, can't be bothered. You know, if they've got shit to wade through on a Monday morning, it makes perfect logical sense to me that you would probably send it through about oh, 11 a.m. when they've been through the shit and they've had their morning coffee. And now they're just dealing with what comes through. So they're going to be much more open to listening to a demo. You would always put in the subject line, new voiceover demo from and your name. You would always have your name and your phone number on the, the file, the audio file. So it's, it's an MP3 or a WAV, but MP3 is the, is the better way to send it through an email. You can send WAV files through file sharing sites, but often if you've got something that's over two minutes, it might be a bit too big. So MP3 is a smaller kind of um, file to send through with a voiceover demo. And the quality, you wouldn't be able to tell any difference really. Um, So yeah, working without a voiceover agent, you don't need a voiceover agent for, for voiceover. You really don't. And I think, you know, the benefit of a voiceover agent is absolutely that you, you may get more opportunities because an ad agency who's looking for a new voice for a campaign or looking for this style of voice or somebody to do this is likely to want to save time by ringing their favorite voiceover agent, or they may have several favorite voiceover agents. Um, I'm sure people here have written to or called voiceover agents and said, I'm interested in being a voiceover artist. And if you called RMK, they'll probably tell you that 3000 people contact them every year and they take about four. So don't bother us, you know. Um, often agents will just say, is hard to get into but if you've made a, a demo send it to us you would want that demo to be not only really good you would also want to have in your email that you have worked at this studio or that studio with this person because voiceover agents are not necessarily going to take you without proof of what you're like in the booth so you may have produce a really brilliant voiceover demo but when it comes down to it you go into the studio and you're a bit oh, <laughs> shit, I don't know what's happening and I feel a bit intimidated because if you're comfortable with a coach and you do it in the studio then that's all lovely but you have to like I said you have to be able to replicate that work when you go out there into voiceover land that's the most important thing so um, where is the voiceover market heading and what what um, examples would you send to an agent <laughs> The fact is the voiceover market is still split between the commercial world and the non-commercial world and animation and character voices and those things that I've talked about. What you have to do to, to get somebody's eyes to light up is be brilliant in a voice, voiceover way. Oh, I like this voice. There are some voices that advertising will really love. There are some voices that the corporate world will really love. There are some books that are so suited to audiobook narration. There are some voices that are so quirky that just give this person an animation role. He doesn't even have to do a character voice. He is a character voice or she is a character voice. You know, so it, it's, it's really about you. But I, I, like I said, the hardest thing is to, to try and to find out what it is about your voice is, that is the best fit for where you could get the most traction or the most work. How often do you update your demo? Well, I think if you're just starting out, use it as an excuse to contact people. So do it every sort of three to six months. And that may just mean taking something that you've done because you've got a couple of jobs at a studio. It's got to be good though. Don't put something where you think oh, the script was a bit boring, but I got paid. Uh, it's got to be, it's got to be good. Um, so do I keep my laptop and interface in my booth when recording or does it sit outside? No, no, no. No. Well, my laptop doesn't hum. It's an, it's a Mac. So there's my Mac over there and there's my microphone. So it's right next to it. Um, but no, I've never worried about that. Um, voice, so uh, voice demo, updating the demo. If you're a pro it's every couple of years, you know, but um, if you've only done one professional level voice project, is it okay to take different clips from the one project 
for your reel, a bank of projects. Yeah. I think be careful if you're, um, so some people have sent me demos that they've made from things that they've done on video. That's not, and they've just taken the audio bit. That's not always going to give you the right, the result that you want because it's very, a voiceover for something that you've done on video is going to be very different in what they're looking for, for somebody to deliver the, the message. Did a short film, cast as an AI voice. They manipulated. Uh, yeah, I could put the AI voice in a reel, even if it was manipulated, because they do often manipulate AI voices. So AI voices really are, you know, that's artificial intelligence. So what are these voices? There's a lot of, you know, there's a Siri type voice and there's that, that sort of every woman voice. Same with the kind of every man voice. Um, an AI voice will be something that sounds, uh, it's mechanical, but it's human, but it's not really human. It's got a mechanicalness about it. It is, it is, and it's not devoid of emotion. It's a particular kind of way of expressing emotion. Um, if you did an AI voice in a film, yeah, anyway, so if, if it's you seeing it, then I would take that little clip of you out of the, the video and send it with a voiceover demo or whatever. It's not going to necessarily get you a job just on its own. I was an AI voice in a short film. You need something a little bit more substantial in the, the package of this is me, the voiceover artist. I can do this and that. So, but it's a good thing to, um, to add. There are a lot of things, you know, it's good if you, if you do a corporate job or a, um, you know, non-broadcast job where there's a video made, um, it's a good thing to to grab them and keep them in your folder. In fact, get everything that you've recorded, get it sent to you, and they will send it to you. There's not a problem with that. They will send it to you. Yeah, you can't see your actual face. Okay, yeah, well, see if you can grab the voice and put it somewhere and keep it um, for that AI voice person. So the, the, uh, the audio book stuff... Somebody wanted to ask if there's a specific agency, studio, casting director that mostly handle these to send a reel or is that largely... See, the voiceover, uh, the um, audiobook industry is smallish, as in there's a lot of books being done. Bolinda is the big place in Victoria, B-O-L-I-N-D-A. Um, there's one in Auckland too, and I can't remember the name of it, but if you, you know, put in audiobooks Auckland audiobook producers or audiobook recording studios, you'll find that person. Um, same with anywhere in, in Australia. They must be doing them in other places. I know that Bolinda, B-O-L-I-N-D-A, which is based in Tullamarine in Melbourne, has studios now in different parts of Australia to capture the best selection of, of um, audiobook narration talent. So um, it's a... Uh, the thing about that is that often what they want you to do is just do do a book, do a reading, a couple of minutes is all, and you can just do it on your phone if you like. It doesn't need to be professionally recorded. They want to hear that you're a storyteller, that you can understand the words and language. They're not as interested in your voice as your ability to do the, to, to do the story. It's not, you don't send them a reading. They'll just go, oh, no, doesn't understand it. You have to actually inhabit whatever those two minutes are, get to know them upside down and backwards, just as you would a script that you were learning. You have to really understand what this language is saying because we're not interested in reading. We're only interested in being. Like if, you know, look at the difference for you between narrating in third person and narrating in first person. First person, you get to inhabit the character, right? And you deliver everything from the character. Third person, you are narrating and you are doing character. Well, you, you, you'll do other character voices when you're in first person as well because the narrator does all the voices in the book. So in that sense, you don't want to worry too much about character voices because they don't have to be completely different from you um, unless you, you're good at it or it's a main character and you think that that's worth worthwhile they just need to have a flavor of that character a certain flavor 
But when you listen to the audiobook podcast, when you get to that, you'll hear us talking about all of that and how to achieve that. So, you know, audiobooks is a, is a real thing. By the way, nobody, well, there is somebody in Sydney um, recording audiobooks from home. His name is Rupert Dake, Dake, Rupert Dake, so I can't remember his surname. If you, um, I'm, I've been doing a series of audiobook podcasts with um, Square Sound in Melbourne, where I've done some books, with Justine Sloan Leeds, who's the producer there. Now, Square Sound is the other place that you would send a send it to in Melbourne. Wave Sound is where you would send it to in Sydney. Mostly they get they work with audible.com and they work with publishers. Um, so it's called the audiobook podcast, the audiobook one word podcast. And we've done about 15 of them about all aspects of um of um, audiobooks. Uh, somebody also asked a question about podcasting, to do or not to do. Well the thing is podcasts are about your own special interest and if you mean, shall I get involved in podcasts? I mean, it, it's usually something you do for nothing. People have been paid to top and tail podcasts, you know, which is just an opener, you know, welcome to the podcast brought to you by, and then thank you for listening to today's podcast next time. Will. So those sort of top and tail things, I don't think it's big money, but I mean, it, all of those sort of areas are growing. Somebody was also telling me recently that they were starting to do um, right, like radio plays again, which would be amazing. I mean, anything audio is amazing. Um, so it doesn't include, yeah, right. Okay. How to, to go about getting more bookings for the actor's agent? Well, I think I might have answered that one by you're going to have to do some legwork, you know, and um, it can be a little tricky to do that sort of legwork. You have just, just, Google, um, you know, sound recording studios wherever you are and find out who's in the landscape and do it, do all that kind of stuff. How does an agent market you? Oh, you, you really never know. Um, how do they delineate who does what is really not, is often not their decision, although often they will be the one who says, we recommend this person or that person. Um, and you never really know. You certainly don't want to piss off your agent. You want to be careful with that. Um, so being as sweet as pie is nice. And sometimes agents can be a little, you know, oh, whatever. Anyway, so um, I'm just going to check and see if there are any more questions. The other professional fiction podcast, play the narrator. Yep, you can, anything that you've done that was a fiction, if you're interested in audiobooks. Do that. Don't. The other thing I want to say about voice demos is don't mix the mediums. Don't put a commercial demo reel together and then whack a little bit of you doing an audiobook on the end. Oh, no, because the commercial people don't want to cast an audiobook narrator. You don't want to say, and I'm also clever at this, because that just looks like you're not quite sure about where you're marketing to. And you need to be really clear about what you are marketing your, that is your talents for a particular area and to whom be really clear about who it's for and what they're going to want to hear. So it's very different doing a commercial, um, a, a commercial demo to doing um, a, a non-broadcast demo because non-broadcast demo has to be full of quite dry information. You know, your, your um, commercial demo can be incredibly lively and emotive and great fun and entertaining. Your corporate demo has to kind of have this, has to have a bit, of, bit more gravitas and seriousness and not so serious. You can't be serious all the time. Um, but it also has to be able to be, you, you, you have to engage people with your reads. And, you know, I mean, I will talk about this when I do the technique work on commercials and non-commercial voiceover especially for the commercial world is a slightly heightened way to work you know we're not real we're delivering advertising messages and so you know i am always much more animated than i am in real life and i am quite animated anyway in real life but can you imagine what radios like in america because they always hi how are you today you know so they're always really big 
So their radio is like really big. But it is just keep that in mind that it's slightly heightened. And when you listen to people on radio, know that when they pull back from the microphone, they're just going to talk like sort of I'm talking now. But when they're on the microphone, they're going to be talking about this. You know, it's that sort of energy. So then you have to watch, but we'll talk about this next time, energy, volume, pace, all, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful techniques that I'll teach you next week, next time. Uh, you do need a separate demo reel for audiobook narration and only send it to those uh, studios who, like who are doing audiobook narration nobody don't send it to a sound recording studio unless they're doing audiobook narration you know then send one ring them up and say well, what do you do well i'd like to send you a voiceover demo do you do any audiobooks that would be a clever thing to ask they say no but we're thinking of it oh good well I, i'm an audiobook narrator maybe i'll send you my demo that would be good um oh doing impressions character reels there's not no when was the last time you heard an impression of anybody, really? I mean, it's so rare and you would have to be careful with impressions that what you're doing is somebody current. Can you do a Scott Morrison? Is that going to be funny? Well, probably not. You know, is there somebody out there who is it's who's of the moment who you do a brilliant take on? You know, over the years I've been asked, can you do this person or that person? I go, oh, I don't know. I mean, hopefully I can find something on YouTube of them speaking and I'll see if I can capture the voice, you know, and maybe it's just enough or it's not or whatever. But it's generally, like I said, that if you want to make money in this, it's about finding out what it is about your disembodied voice somebody is going to listen to and go, oh, shit, yeah, that's the voice we want. And you will be, you'll get that because you are doing the kind of, read that they're looking for with the kind of script style that they're looking for and you will only know that by really exploring what other people who sound a bit like you are doing and just work out it's not always going to be i want to be doing that it's going to, it's going to really be what is it that somebody else will will like about my voice you know okay Direct the studios back to your acting agent or voice agent. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You do actually um, involve your agent in in your voiceover work. Even sometimes, if it's work that you get or you believe you've built this contact, you know. I mean, I think having a good, strong relationship with an agent is a good thing. You say, "Well, I'm bringing you this work, so what are you doing for me?" Because don't forget, your agent works for you, so it has to be about um, reciprocal arrangement. You know. Um, so I think that's probably all, guys. Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.